0: I love that song, uh, Endless Hallelujah. Don't you love that song? The words of it are so, so beautiful. Just that scene that it paints. Uh, standing in front. Can you all hear me all right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, standing in front God. of the uh, throne of God. Forever offering our praise. And, and things being different there. Love you with unseeming heart. No more tears. No more fears. None of that. None of the things that uh, so irk us down here. Yes. And it's, a, it's just a wonderful, gentle song, and uh, I, I love worshipping with it. Anyway, let's uh, pray before we get into the Word, shall we? Well, Father, we thank you just for this time together. We thank you for church, we thank you for worship, Lord, we thank you for your presence, Lord. With your people. Lord, you have promised that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst, Lord. There you will do things, Lord God. There you see and behold what is happening. There you encourage. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that today. Lord, that your people would come out of the service fed and encouraged, Lord, and blessed and strengthened, Lord God, even for the time ahead, even for the time that is now, Lord. Strengthened, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen: <clears throat> Well, the church has been in the news late, uh, a lot lately, every month, every week. Uh, on Friday, uh, we watched the news, and the first two items were about the church, and it wasn't good items.:
1: I <laughs> unexpected.
0: Well, they don't report the good things. So. But, but honestly, there has been a lot in the news. Sexual abuse at church schools, a mega church treating interns badly, uh, not just one. A Christian cult engaged in child labor and other abuses, A church leader breaks COVID rules. Other leaders guilty of sexual impropriety all over the world and financial misconduct in New Zealand, Australia and U.S., and as I said just this Friday, the top two news items were bad news about Christians. It makes you really feel bad when you, when you sit in front of the television and you, you watch that. Uh, so big names and big places that are, are falling or have fallen. And there is a media barrage that I haven't seen before. Add to that how many churches have compromised over the homosexual issue and other moral issues. And add to that how much the world has come into the churches and how much the desire for holiness and the fear of the Lord has gone out of churches. And add to that what happens even in churches that have no scandals or moral issues, namely the imperfections of church, normal church life. And you have perfect conditions for people to become disillusioned. Don't you? You have perfect conditions for people to become disillusioned with church and give up on church or give up on God. Why do I say that? Because I have actually seen it many times. I've seen many people give up, being disillusioned, discouraged, frustrated and give up on church or even give up on God. (coughs) And not just young Christians not just young people, but also sometimes mature people, mature Christians. And often it goes in steps. First they leave church, going to church, and then they say, I can be a Christian without church. And then they leave the faith altogether. It's a slow slide down and away from God. And all of that, really concerns me I mean it concerns me that there is sin in the church although I'm not so surprised because there was sin in the early church you read the epistles you see there was sin there why? because of human nature we all have that depraved nature that needs to be put to death and uh, sometimes we are not that successful at that (coughs) so that, that concerns me it, it concerns me how easy it is to fall. You see big names, people who should have known better that, that have fallen. And we need to very much guard ourselves. But it also concerns me that people are leaving church and sometimes over issues that have nothing to do with them. Yeah. And, and even if it has to do with them, they shouldn't leave church. Church. So, I want to focus on that today, on people <coughs> leaving church. Or okay. I want to focus on the positive. I would want to give us some simple reminders of why we go to church, why we need church. And, and this is not going to be a full treatment, this is just a little few pointers because full treatment would take a week, okay? You haven't got a week, I haven't got a week either. So, why we still need church. And how to handle offenses in the church. Right. You may not personally need this today, you may, but it may come in handy to share with others. When you meet people that have left, gone, to, gone away from church, but that still have a faith, because you can still reach them. Our son has been doing that recently. Uh, there, there are some people that he knew, some young people, they had become very frustrated. <coughs> in a particular church situation. (coughs) And they had gone away and just left off going to church altogether. And he has made a point of going to them and and staying friends with them and talking with them and helping them back. They're at a different church now, but they are in church again, which is a a good thing. (coughs) So let me start with, what is church? And why we need it. Now, I hope this works. Wonderful. (laughs) Church is God's idea. Point number one. Church is God's idea. It's not just a man's idea. Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It wasn't Peter's bright idea. To have church, he, Peter didn't one day go to Jesus and say, "Hey, hey Jesus, you know I've got, I think I've got a really good idea." And Jesus is saying, "Yeah, what is it? Why don't we have church?" Jesus, said, wonderful. I, I can think of that, Peter <laughs> It's not like that, is it? Church was God's idea, was always God's purpose from the beginning. From the beginning, God planned that there would be a people who are his people, (coughs) who are in Christ. It's not an afterthought. It was planned even before he chose Israel. He knew that in the end, he was not going to have just Israel. He was going to have the church. Lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would come into that covenant, into the new covenant. That there would be a church made up of all nations. Church. (coughs) So, church is God's idea. Secondly, church is ecclesia. That's not a building, but a group of people. Ecclesia, of course, is the Greek word that Jesus used when he spoke about church. Ecclesia. What does ecclesia mean? It means called out. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the literal meaning of the word ecclesia Ek means out and ecclesia comes from kaleo which means to call two Greek words to combine it means called out. So we are called out from other people. But we are called out in a very specific um, sense, namely, we are called out of darkness, out of darkness into his marvelous light to be his own special people to proclaim his presence. That's the purpose of the church. <coughs> the, the word ecclesia is an interesting word. Uh, it was used in secular Greek, of course, uh, before it was used in the New Testament. And it always refers to a governmental assembly To an assembly that has structure and leadership and authority, not just a loose gathering. Not just a loose gathering. Not just Christian friends meeting from time to time. You know, some people say, well, uh, we we just can be church, you know, without going to church. I just from time to time meet with friends, and that's my church. That is not church in the sense of what this word means. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he didn't say this is how it's going to be. But it is going to be a governmental assembly, an assembly that has structure and leadership and authority. Because (coughs) truly what happens when it's just Christian friends meeting from time to time, it soon fizzles or goes wonky or some of the people in that group will ride their hobby horses and take over. So it doesn't doesn't work very well. They had uh, some 20 years ago or so, they had a movement in the church, particularly in America, called the Emerging Church, where people were going away, quite a few people, they say about 10% or so of churchgoers, going away from the traditional churches and trying to do church very differently Uh, for example just loose gatherings from time to time it has just fizzled because these sort of things fizzle because what Jesus is building is ecclesia a church that has got structure a group that has structure and leadership and authority as well (laughs) number three church is a body and that means you are important for the church, and the church is important for you. If you are a part of a body, you, you think of your own little finger. I know my own little finger. I feel very attached to my little finger. okay? And uh, my little finger feels very attached to me. And that's good, sir. I need my little finger. Maybe not terribly, but I need it, for example, when I play a violin. Without a little finger, it's really hard to play the violin. Okay? You, you miss notes if it's, if it's, it's terrible. Uh, my little finger needs me too. My little finger needs me to survive. Cut off from me, it would die very, very quickly. I wouldn't die, but I wouldn't be the same. So, and it's the same with you. Now I don't know whether you're a little finger or, or something else in the church, you know. But um, let's have a look at this. <coughs> one Corinthians twelve. <coughs> but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you." Nor again the head to the feet, "I have no need of you." No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Everyone is necessary. We need the others. We may not sometimes feel like it, Uh, okay, but we do. And sometimes that's exactly why we need the others, because we don't feel like meeting with them, all right? Because that does something for us and in us. And they need us as well. So we need each other, we get refreshed. Generally, we get refreshed from getting together from worship together. Something happens, you know, that when we are together, that doesn't quite happen. God has reserved it for when we get together. It doesn't quite happen when we are alone at home. Alone at home, we have kind of wonderful times with the Lord, but there is something different that God will do in the assembly, because that's how he has made us. He has made us to have his relationship with him this way, and that way, through the body. And with the body. So we need we get refreshed. Also as we are looking out for each other. And if one of us is not here on Sundays, God sees a big hole. God sees a big hole. Yeah. Hi guy. Good to see you. I'm talking about church today. What is church and why we need it? Yes. Yeah? And what to do when offences happen, because Many people just leave church altogether and often leave God when stuff happens. <coughs> so I've said so far that church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church. Church is ecclesia, a group of called out people, but ecclesia is a governmental assembly. It is an assembly that has structure and leadership. It's not just people coming together. Church is a body, and that means every part is important for the others. Number four, church is a command. We are commanded, and it's a command that is given for our sake. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. See verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of of some. It was already the manner of some, even there in the early church, to forsake the assembling together. And he says it is much more important as we see the day approaching. There's something about the end time, the day, the day of the return of the Lord, which makes it even more important that yeah. we gather together. Now, I tell you what, pressure will increase against the gathering together. Because you find that whenever a government turns against Christ, one of the first things they attack is who and when people can assemble. And uh, often churches get shut down and closed up. Young people not allowed in church. And all sorts of things happening. And the church has to go underground. And it takes guts to carry on going to be part of an assembly. It takes guts. But still, God says it is even more important in the end time because mutually we will encourage each other to stand and to stand strong, to stand with Christ. And also, I believe that there is stuff ahead for the church that we have not touched yet. We have seen some glimpses of it. But I believe that as the pressure will increase, as persecution will come, that the glory of the Lord will come into the church in a way that we have not seen as yet. And also a unity, a unity that is truly of the Spirit, that is a a unity based on the Word of God. So I'm not saying that's a unity between all churches. That is going to be a false unity. That is not the unity that is going to come but a unity between true Christians that is going beyond denominations where people um, will, will accept each other as Christians and support each other. And, and I believe great things I here there in that sort of assembly for, for, for the church. <coughs> so church is a command and um, <coughs> And it's a command because God knows we need each other and need to be organized to worship and grow in God. Um, A friend of us left the Salvation Army uh, fairly recently over their stance on the homosexual issue. And uh, he felt he couldn't live with that. And so he was not sure if he would join a church again. He was so disillusioned. Then somebody showed him this verse in Hebrews 10, verse 25. And he realized this is God's command to him. And though he was trying to obey and, and leaving a church that he felt was going off, by leaving church altogether, he would disobey he realized that. Yeah? So he, he turned, he found another church and he is, as far as I know, he is happy there. We can leave a church, but then we should go to another church. You can leave a church for another church, but not leave church altogether. Does it make sense? Yes. Yeah. That's really important principle to, to keep in mind. And when when people are are hurt by a church, uh, say maybe beyond repair or so, which which does happen, then we need to <coughs> be able to help them and say, well, look, biblically, this is what you should look at at doing. You can leave that church. You know, if God gives permission and so on. But then you go to another church. <coughs> you can't be without church. Fifth point, God loves the church. Ephesians five twenty-five, twenty-seven. 27. Now this is every wife's uh, favorite verse in the Bible. <coughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Incidentally, that's a tall order for us husbands, isn't it? Not when you've got a wife like them. I'd say it must be easy
1: for a pastor to love
0: her. That's a wonderful testimony. Good. So... Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church. There is going to be a glorious church. Yeah, We sometimes can look at the church and get all critical and so on but God is going to have a glorious church. He's going to have. And that simply doesn't mean the flashing lights or anything like this. It means just people who are just full on for him who have worked through difficulties, who have gone through pains and come out the other side and still love him and love him more and are purified by the trials, not destroyed. I remember a time <coughs> I was at a camp and some and and some of the people there made a skit about Daniel and his, no, his three friends who got thrown into the fire. And when they came out of the fire, do you know what happened? They came out of the fire, of course, alive, which was an incredible miracle. Jesus had been there with them in the fire. And they came out of the fire and not even their garments, there was no no smell of smoke on them. And uh the fire had not even touched them to that degree. You know what? At that moment when they did that skit, I suddenly realized I was had been in a situation where I had gone through the fire and the smell of smoke was on me.
1: <laughs>
0: and I had to get rid of it. You know, you can go through the fires and come out with attitudes that still gnaw on your heart yeah, and linger and God wants us to be free from all of that he wants us to, to be purified by the fire and the fire might not be our mistake maybe all other people anyway I better carry on so that he might present herself here to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without damage He loved the church. He paid a huge price for every single one of us. A huge price. All his life, every minute of it, was lived for the purpose so that you could be part of his bride. Every minute of it. And every pain that he endured patiently was for that reason. Going to the cross and then taking all your guilt and all your shame, and all your sin upon himself, and he felt it all. Paid a huge price for it. God loves the church. So that's our last reason for what is church, why we need it. Church is God's idea. Church is ecclesia, not a building, but a group of called out people into a, an assembly that has structure. Church is a body, means you are important. Church is a command, and church, a God, loves the church. (coughs) Now, what if there is sin in the church, and how do you deal with that? Hmm. Well, it depends. Depends on what it is, exactly. For example, if there is a criminal offence, in the past I believe the church has been unreasonably reluctant Uh, reluctant to deal with that when something was in the church and possibly because in Corinthians somewhere it says uh, Paul says dare any of you go to court before the unbelievers when you have a matter against another and this kind of thing sort this out amongst yourselves and so I think that has been taken too far and to prove that let me just ask you uh, what if there was a murder in the church do you think it would be right to go to the police? Or do you think it's just a matter of dealing with it internally in the church? Of course you would go to the, the police. The same principle applies when there's sexual abuse, sexual harassment, those kind of things. You know? Maybe some of the less major things you can deal with uh, yourself you know, uh, as a church, but when there is criminal offense, I think the police has to be involved. Uh, That is only right. And I don't think that was what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about murder and rape and those kind of things. What if there is um, sexual immorality? Well, then, of course, we see what Paul did. He brought it before the church. He brought it out into the open. And he said, you've got to deal with that. And if the person is not repentant, you put them out hopefully they will come to repentance. Repentance, that was in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, he turns around, uh, chapter 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians 2 and, verse 7, and and chapter 7 as well. He turns around and he says, now this person that we have put out, they actually put a person out of the assembly who was in a wrong sexual relationship. So now this person has come to repentance. We see them back. Lest this person be swallowed up by overmuch sorrow. Isn't that wonderful? This is that's grace. That's the grace of God. He doesn't say, "Leave them out." You know, I don't care if they go to hell. No, He said, "We don't want anyone to go to hell." The reason for the discipline was so the person comes to repentance. Yeah. So there, of course, we bring it before church now. Uh, if you, if you see anything like this, or you know of something like this, you bring it before the church leadership, and then the church leadership ought to deal with it. And in some churches we have seen that, and that has brought about some scandals, but it's the right way of dealing with it. <coughs> then there is another situation. Matthew chapter 18 Moreover, and I I think it's quite fascinating that this comes fairly close after Matthew 16 where Jesus said, I will build my church. It's like he knew there were going to be problems in the church and so he, he gives us this advice. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So if there is a personal offense towards you, and this is talking about sin, some kind of sin. Perhaps somebody dings your car in the parking lot and then doesn't want to own up and doesn't want to pay. Or has, owes you some money and doesn't want to repay you. Something like this. <coughs> If that happens in your church, then there is a process to follow. Step one, step two, step three. Step one, deal privately, talk with the person. Step two, there's no, no acknowledgement, no change. Go with another person, take somebody else with you. Somebody obviously is trustworthy, maybe has got a little bit more clout. And finally, bring the matter before the church. That is, before the church leadership. You don't stand up in the middle of a service and say, Oh, my brother stole my roses. <laughs> and um, that, that wouldn't be the appropriate thing to do. <clears throat> so, and church then should deal with the person. And I think if church leadership doesn't deal, if there's a real sin happening and so on, then that may be a reason for you to withdraw and go elsewhere. <coughs> but you don't become a heathen. You can let a person like this become a heathen to you, in a sense of you, you treat them you know, no longer like your brother. But uh, you never become a heathen. You don't withdraw completely from church. <coughs> so that's God's process for dealing with a person in sin. And that process is therefore a reason. You know, Jesus gives every word that He spoke. Every word was for a reason. Every word was spoken out of love. Every word was so that we have processes to follow. We know what to do. You know, even in workplaces, you have got you have got probably thick books that tell you which process to follow in what kind of uh, circumstances. Even for dismissing a person, you have to follow very accurately a process. And if you don't do it exactly in the right way you can be fined thousands of dollars. But God gives us this process and many, many, many Christians never follow this process. So if you ever get into real trouble with your brother go to the Word. Go to particularly Matthew 18. Look at the steps. Look at what to do there. Matthew 5 is good also. It gives another few steps to do. But this is to protect everyone, so that sin is confronted, but it is confronted God's way. Everything is done decently and in order, and that there is no need for gossiping or murmuring or spreading rumors. Make sense? <coughs> so, you probably know all of this. As I say, this is just a few simple reminders, but uh, quite important, because from time to time we do encounter this sort of thing. Now what if it's not a matter of sin, but of personality? Personality issues, personal style, preferences. <clears throat> you don't like the way that the song leader is organizing the practices. It really gets on your ticker up there. You just it's way
1: to wait around music is
0: uh, I'm a musician. I know that musicians tend to be sensitive. people, <laughs> But I'm not having a go at anyone. Um, uh, otherwise, you uh, know, I had a go at myself too. Uh, it's, it's in every area of life, in every area of church life, that of these kind of offences, because of personalities can, and preferences and personal style, can take place. And very often people leave church not because of doctrinal issues or not because there's immorality in the church but just simply because they don't like somebody's personality or somebody's leadership style. Sometimes it's somebody bringing changes to the service format and sometimes it's simply because people feel overlooked or undervalued or not heard. When these things happen, is it right to leave or not? Big question. Well, sometimes it's right and sometimes it's not. Sometimes God says you can go. Other times he wants to do a work in you. And you better stay. Because otherwise you're running away from God's dealing and uh, that's not good for you. So my advice would be, when these things happen, and you've got all these emotions brooding inside of you and wanting to come out, don't run after your feelings. But really pray. Really seek the Lord. Really pray and seek the Lord. Now, (coughs) when I was a new Christian I was in that situation Uh, probably it was a combination of all these things, personality issues personal style, preferences and so on a whole lot of stuff and as I sought God for my situation he spoke to me four things and I wanted to, before I finish I want to share those four things again they are simple things but I think they are very helpful (coughs) the first Thing that God spoke to me was surprising. He said, "Leadership is not perfect." Now we all know leadership is not perfect. Is that true? <laughs> okay. That you know, Robbie may be an exception, but <laughs> he may not be. Even the best leader has idiosyncrasies, blind spots, faults. We know that uh, leaders are like any other people. They are packaged deals. Uh, you Know, like all of us, the good, the bad, and the um, in Another between, some okay, but somehow in church we have the expectation that leaders should be perfect, yes, we, do. we do because I mean, they're, they're, they're supposed to be men and women of God, and you know, and, and they are get on with everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, get on with everyone. <coughs> Why should and they be perfect when
1: we're not? <laughs> That's good. But
0: somehow the expectation is still there. Uh, at least it was in me. And they are not. They are in the process of being perfected. Just like we all are. They are not perfect yet. They are in the process of being perfected. So, um, Robbie, if Robbie is hearing this on uh, <laughs> I'm sorry Robbie, but... So we can only do this. We can, what we should do, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Sometimes that's a tall order. It's not easy. It very, very, can be very, very difficult. Especially if it's a sort of (coughs) long-running brewing conflict that just doesn't seem to stop. But this is what God's word says: Still esteem them highly in love. Pray for them. Sometimes as you pray for them, God will show you things that you didn't understand before. I remember I had a uh, again when I was a young Christian, a leader and uh, he was very harsh and uh, he managed to more or less destroy the young people's group Um, lots of people left and um, and I found very hard to get on with him but one day as I prayed for him God showed me this man had come from the military from the Navy he had spent 10 years there and that mantle was still on him and it was like he couldn't get rid of it because he was trained like this you know how do you deal with uh, with a person who is not immediately jumping you at them you know might froth out of the mouth a little bit, and uh, that was his style of dealing with you know it's just either obedience or it's nothing, and and there was no no grace, and he had other very good things in God but very hard as a leader. So it helped me with that person at least a little bit. <laughs> it helped me to understand. So. If that happens, you can talk with the person, but if there are blind spots, they are often hard to shift. You can ask the Holy Spirit, of course, to, to open eyes. And you ask the Holy Spirit in this whole process, you must ask Him very much to help you, because He is your helper. He is right there. And He understands you, He understands that person, He understands the situation. Always involve the Holy Spirit. So leaders are not perfect. That makes a problem, because we still have to submit to them, because God has placed them over us God has placed them in certain situations, in certain positions He has placed them there and uh, of course there's scripture there even Romans 13, about the natural government, it says in Romans 13, that there's no authority except God has placed them in those places yeah, so we need to respect that and Another scripture here, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Obey those who rule over you, or who lead you, is probably a better translation, (coughs) who lead you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. (coughs) Now that obviously talks about the normal day-to-day things and, and the way in which they encourage you in the Lord. and It's not talking when they uh, want you to do something that is out wrong. Yeah, then you can put your foot down, of course, always, and say no. <coughs> so this scripture has been abused, I know that, in some churches, in many churches this kind of scripture and also scriptures like touch not the Lord's anointed have been very much abused and have placed some leaders in a completely untouchable position where even if you just questioned a decision you were touching the Lord's anointed. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if ever any of you have made that experience certainly I have and uh, that, that is not right. But still Submission is part of it. This is what God's Word says. Now, you don't submit your life decisions. That's your prerogative. Where you live, whom you marry, all those kind of things. You don't submit those life decisions to leadership, but you submit yourself to the way that things are done in this particular uh, environment, in that circumstance, in that church. And that's often hard enough, that's often hard enough. But sometimes a lot depends on it. I remember talking with a man, uh, we were up north somewhere preaching, and um, there was a man there talking with him. (coughs) And it turned out that decades ago, this man, who looked now a little bit like a forlorn hippie, Decades ago, he was in Peter Morrow's Bible School down in Christchurch. Uh, Peter Morrow was leading the new life center there, anointed man of God. I've heard him only once uh, after he had been... Uh, you know Peter Morrow? He, yes. yeah? yep. uh, i heard him a year after he had been attacked. Uh, a man whom he had ministered to came in, at midnight or so to his house with a machete, a deranged and uh, began to attack him and uh, Peter Morrow received five wounds I think that came this close to killing him Um, he did sort of recover I heard him once a year later uh, he had recovered enough to do some preaching again and he came for an Easter convention to my church and it was wonderful really anointed and uh, man of God but so there was this man, and he was in Peter Morris' Bible school and doing the outreach and learning, learning all these things. but he dropped out. You know why he dropped out? Because they had a standard for <coughs> how they wanted people to go out and, and look when they go street witnessing or, or from house to house. They wanted him to wear shoes and it was such an unreasonable thing I mean he really didn't like wearing shoes and there are some people who hate wearing I mean I've tried it once uh, for a short time until I got a thorn in my foot and then I thought blow this it's it's not very wise Um, but this man loved not wearing shoes and they wanted him to wear shoes and he felt they should not make me do this and over that thing he gave up his opportunity to stay under Peter Morris ministry, to grow, to learn exceedingly. And and he just obviously never grew. Still has faith in God, but seems to be doing his own thing otherwise. So that's that. Submission is important. So, leadership is not perfect. That was the first point. The next point was, forgiveness is not optional. Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, we know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is the only phrase that Jesus picks up after he finishes teaching us his prayer. And he elaborates on it. And he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in these personal personality issues and so on, we need to have a gracious and a big heart. A heart that is constantly willing to forgive. Receiving forgiveness is conditional on forgiving ourselves. And Matthew 18 again, this wonderful chapter on offenses. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He is alluding to Daniel's 70 week prophecy. That's the only time you find 70 times seven. How many weeks? 70 times seven periods of seven are determined upon your people and upon the holy city, da, da, da. What does it refer to? The 70 times seven refer to the time span until the return of the Lord. So he said, when he says 70 times seven, up to 70 times seven, he is saying, until I return back, until I come back. That's how often you forgive. It's not just 400 and how much? How much is 70 times seven? 490? Not just 490. It might be 491. To infinity. <laughs> yes. Just, just constantly ongoing for the whole time until he comes back. <clears throat> the third point. So leadership is not perfect. Forgiveness is not optional. The third point was there is no, no competition in God's house. There is no competition in God's house. It's very easy to be competitive. Even the disciples were competitive. They discuss. You know, Jesus tells them, there's a fantastic scene there in, in the Gospels. Jesus is telling them, uh, you know, he has to go to the cross and he will be, you know, he, he is foretelling them about his suffering. And next thing is they're discussing who amongst them is the greatest. You know, no, Jesus, really? You, you know, you, you're going to suffer? No, no. Who amongst us is the greatest? <laughs> Is it Peter? I mean, Peter walked on the waters. Or is it John? John? John actually was so, he was the closest to Jesus' heart, you know? Jesus loved him. Maybe it's Andrew because Andrew brought Peter to the Lord. So who is the greatest? He was a soul winner. Maybe it's Thomas because Thomas had all the right questions at the right time. <laughs> Uh, it may be. It may be, yes. They were all hoping to be the next leader. Our <coughs> competition comes comes exactly from that because we would like to be in the leader's position. And so we are in a person who is being promoted in, in, in their position. <coughs> we, uh, Selina and I, knew a, a couple uh, that used to be cleaners. Very simple folk. But the Lord... Uh, took a hold of them, filled them with his spirit, and then he started to bring children to them. And they had their garage overflowing with children uh, that were hungry for the word of God. And they would teach them as much as they, I mean, they, they knew hardly anything. They had to learn as they went, you know, what, what is the Ark? what was the flood, and so on, and start reading the Word, and and teach these children, but God was doing a tremendous work through them. And uh, when the Queen Street Assembly of God, they had this revival and so on, and the pastor there chose this couple to become the new leaders of the whole Sunday school system, 500 children, the day he, that was announced or done, half of the teachers, half of the Sunday school teachers there resigned. <laughs> because this ignorant couple that had only been Christians for a short time, and, and they were, they knew so much more, they were so much better qualified and they probably were. But God had chosen them. You know, And there were others that had probably faithfully, faithfully served, you know, uh, many years. But God had other plans, just like he had with David, King David, you know? There's this little upshot, you know, little boy. This is going to be the new king. Really? So we must leave that prerogative to God and not be jealous, not be competitive in that way. Psalm 75, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Yeah. <coughs> Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. So there's no competition in God's house. And the fourth thing that God spoke to me was simply this love must be our motive. Love, he said to me, Love must be my motive. Why? Because love is the nature of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's one John four eleven. And John thirteen 34 and 35 A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One new commandment added to the other two great commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's one new commandment, love one another as I love you. I often think about this commandment, not that I'm very good at obeying it, but uh, I often think, how much are we making this a, a priority? To love one another, that means to love other church members, to yes. love other Christians, mm-hmm. in a particular and special yes. and big-hearted way. How often? How often do we say, I'm going to go to church today to love my brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. So, love must be our motive in everything. In everything, love should be underlying, should be our motive. Even faith works by love. Faith works by love. So, leadership is not perfect. Forgiveness is not optional. There's no competition in God's house. Love must be our motive. And if you have any issues at the moment, those four things are pretty hard nuts to crack. You can chew on them for a while. (coughs) In closing, just let's come back to what I said at the start. The news, the media are right. Church is not without problems. Some things in church don't bring God the glory. And they don't make us feel good about church. But still, we must continue to do church best we know. And let me suggest just three practical things we can do, or you can do. Number one, do your part in church. Support it, be committed, be there when things are on, as much as you can. Continue in assembly. Number two, do your part in the community continue to be a shining light for God and his church. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit and God's word. Live it. Live it out. Because people watch you and people they notice. They don't just read the news, but they read you. They don't just read the news, they read you. Let your light shine. And you can do a whole lot of good and counteract what it says in in the news. Even. Yeah? church Christians are to be attractive. You know, people were attracted to Jesus. Kids came to Jesus. Why? Because there was something attractive about his personality, about him being filled with the spirit, the love and the light and the love coming through. And the truth, of course. So do your part in church, do your part in community, and lastly, love one another. Love is not just for outsiders. Some churches get completely hung up on evangelism. And every new person that comes and they love the person until the person has been there for three or four weeks and they become part of the furniture. And then they're treated like furniture. (laughs) Jesus didn't say love outsiders. He said love one another. Of course love outsiders too. But love is for inside the church. This is the new commandment. So what if you have to stay longer after church, not to clean up a little bit? That's love. It can be love. Or so what if the leader is not your personality type? Love one another. Or so what if nobody else puts their hand up for morning making morning teas? You know? Love one another. You You do what you can. And you do what you feel is right. You ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to help you. But that's the nature of God. And God wants to fill every assembly, this assembly too, with his love. With his love. It only happens as his people decide, yeah, this is a commandment for me, not just for my neighbor. I want my neighbor to love me, but I want to start with myself, regardless of what my neighbor does. Love one another, Jesus said, in the same way, with the same abandon that I have loved you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) The Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I I don't know how much of this word was uh, storing up for a future day or how much it may have touched some people in their situation that they're in now something Lord but I pray Father that wherever you have spoken Lord God that this whole word Lord would be anchored in our hearts and minds Lord that you help us not to forget these principles because these are very important principles (coughs) in a sense it's a matter of life and death spiritual life and death belonging to the church being part of the church, being part of what you are building. And so I pray, Father, that you would continue to speak, Lord. You would continue to speak to all of us and and would continue to encourage all of us, Lord, in doing the right thing. That you help us, Lord God, if there are any hurdles, Lord, to jump over those hurdles, to leave them behind, to solve them with the help of your word and making that decision to follow your word and to follow what your Holy Spirit is showing us. So we thank you, Lord. And we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the people. Thank you for the leadership, Lord. Thank you for what is happening, Lord God. I thank you for the service, Lord, that people are giving to, to this church, Lord, and in this church. I thank you for the willingness, Lord God, in the people. And I just pray, love, that you would reward
1: That you would reward